Did you ever think you were make it? I feel I'm so close I could take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value taming, giving values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to haters. How they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. On everything. Well, uh, folks, today is a special podcast. Uh, it's one we've been waiting for. The, the the person that's on today, Dr. Ben Carson, you've you've seen him many different places. But you know, for most people that maybe maybe you don't know what he's done in the past, I wrote a book about twelve years ago called Doing the Impossible. This man actually did the impossible, and they made a movie after him. Uh, he successfully separated conjoined twins, which was a 22-hour surgery on uh, with a team of 70 people. People said that'll never happen. It's not possible. He was able to do that. Later on, a movie came out, Gifted Hands, starring Cuba Gooden Jr. And then uh, he later became the uh, presidential candidate, running against many different heavyweights. And then became the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Donald Trump. And today... When he speaks, people listen. Dr. Ben Carson, thank you so much for being a guest on Bag Table. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoy being here. Yes. You know, I read your book the moment it came out, uh, one of the books, America the Beautiful. Yes. I picked it up and I read it. I said, you know, the, the example, I think uh, uh, one of our guys here, Sam, just came and spoke to you. He was mm-hmm. telling me how he was speaking to you when he was in Colombia. His mother made him uh, watch your movie right. and read your book, uh, Gifted Hands. And he says, she said to him, now you know why I'm tough on you guys. You're going to thank me later because look how Dr. Ben Carson thanked his mom mm-hmm. because I think you guys were required to read two books a week and write a report at the end of the week. And if I'm not mistaken, your mom wasn't able to read or something. That, that's that, right. She was illiterate, but uh, she made us read. Our friends, Her friends all criticized her. They said, you can't make boys stay in the house reading books. They'll grow up and they'll hate you. And I used to overhear them, and I would say, you know they're right, Mother. But it, <laughs> 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 and we and we then, still had to do it. <laughs> but she had the last laugh because one son became a brain surgeon, the other became a rocket scientist. Are you kidding me? See, I didn't know about <laughs> wow, it. So the yeah. other son became a rocket scientist. I mean, that was 10 years ago when I read it. You. Older. He's your older wow. brother. Yeah. Gotcha. Powerful story. So, you know, we do a similar thing with our kids, but, you know, yesterday... My son sat and finished a 300-page book on his own. Yes, Tico? Yeah, Tico. Hmm. And you, they couldn't distract him. Our required reading is 20 pages a day from the moment you turn six years old. You're hmm. supposed to read 20 pages every day, including Sundays, Saturdays, all that. That's going to pay off. And, and the only currency in our house where you get to ask and negotiate with things is books. You read books, you get to negotiate. You don't read books, you don't have leverage to negotiate. But now the teacher calls me telling me you have to tell your oldest son to stop reading because he's not paying attention in class. I said, man, with all due respect, that is one thing I'm not going to be doing. This kid can read all he wants, mm-hmm. and you just got to get his attention. Maybe you got to do a better job selling him on paying attention exactly. to you, but this kid's going to keep reading. Anyways, it's great to have you on uh, you. in a very uh, uh, special week that you came here. I don't know if you guys heard or not. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I'd like to talk to you about Abraham Lincoln's uh, uh, great-granddaughter that lost in Wyoming this week. Uh, uh, I don't know if you know what her name is, Liz Cheney. Uh, she she lost. Did you see that? She, well, I saw she lost. She <laughs> lost, yeah, and she uh, she's uh, comparing herself to Lincoln. I'd love to get your feedback on that legendary uh, moment, special moment, you know, what, what happened to her. Uh, CDC came up with some changes and guidelines. Apparently, they hired a new person talking about the fact that 
you know, some of the things we did was wrong. I'm sure you read the report that we didn't do this right, we didn't do that right. But one of the things that they said they didn't do right was kind of uncomfortable for me. They said we should have uh, mandated states to send out this instead of making it more volunteer. So I kind of want to get your feedback on that. Okay. And then obviously with what we have going on with the Inflation Reduction uh, Act uh, into law, um, uh, you know, IRS whistleblower coming out, 87,000 new IRS agents. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Mm-hmm. FBI, you know, raiding uh, President Trump's house. We got to talk about that. Uh, we have uh, a, a story by the Daily Beast talking about Viper Merrick Garland's Trump FBI rate is only in the first inning, meaning he's got more to show for. Uh, Kirsten, what you have to say about that? And then a few ideas with NBA this week coming out. Dwayne Wade claims the the hatred of Miami Heat's big three uh, when they were winning championships is because uh, they were black men, right. which, which uh, you know, w- w- I'm really curious what you'll say about that part. They're taking election day off. We got a bunch of other things that's going on. Bloomberg wrote an article expose on Bill Gates, which is kind of weird for Bloomberg to write an expose on Bill Gates. When Bloomberg writes an expose on Bill Gates, you have to, you know, know that there's, there's some credibility, credibility there, behind sure. it. Elon Musk was at Kevin McCarthy's GOP retreat in Wyoming. Very, mm-hmm. very weird people showing up to weird parties. And then a couple other things we'll talk about that has to do with Joe Rogan, the heated debate over you know Roe v. Wade that he had recently. But aside from that, just an open-ended question for you. So, you know, uh, the day comes where we find out President Biden is going to be our president, okay? Right. And it was official. It was no longer waiting. The inauguration took place. President Trump didn't show up. Everybody's sitting there saying, okay, this is our guy. This is who we have to run with. This is who's representing the free world today. He's our commander-in-chief. Fast forward from that day to today. Is today exactly what you expected it to be? Is it better? Is it worse? Or is it exactly what you thought it was going to be? Well, I didn't have a lot of the expectations for uh, our current president because, you know, he basically didn't show up during the primary process and during the whole presidential campaign. And uh, when he did show up, uh, it wasn't particularly impressive. Uh, But I knew that there were a lot of other people who were pulling the strings. And I have a reasonable idea of who those people are. So I expected uh, a very leftward tilt. Uh, And that's exactly what has happened. When you say you have an idea of who those people reasonable idea about who those people are does the rest of america who votes also know who those people are or is it something that only some of the people on the inside know who those people are i think a lot of people who've been paying attention to the general tenor of the country over the last couple of decades have a pretty good idea of who those people are are you able to talk about it, or is it like a you know Illuminati secret type of Freemason stuff that the we won't get at Yale? Well, well, let me just say that there are people who have been involved previously with trying to fundamentally change our country internally, right? So, so okay, so you know, what are you talking about? Globalists, some folks that are maybe I think they're associated with some of the globalists. Okay, so why why would they let, let's let's go there? Why would they want to do that? Why would they want to fundamentally change uh, the one country that the world uses the the five letter word dream with? You know, we don't use the dream right. word with any country. The only one we've ever used it with was America, the American dream. Well, why are they trying to change it? Well, remember, 
there have been people who have uh, disputed the legitimacy of our governmental system since the very beginning. They said, you can't have a country that's run on the will of the people. You have to have a monarch. You have to have a ruling body. And uh, those kinds of uh, ideals have been around from the very beginning, and they're still there. And there are those who believe that the ruling class knows better than the people. And uh, it's really for the good of the people uh, that you empower those people and that they need to do whatever they have to do in order to gain the power, in order to do, quote, good for the people, unquote. Yeah, but when you're saying the monarch, but aren't those guys from the outside? So the argument is there's no way America can make it without us. We're a monarch, right? They desperately need us. Versus in this case, you're saying last 20 years, these are people on the inside. Why are people on the inside trying to break apart the one idea that turned into what it, this experiment that turned into what it is today? Power. They want power. They want control. It's a natural tendency. It's a human tendency to want to control everybody, to want to control your environment. And that's why if you go back through history and you look at various societies, there is no period of time where people can just live in peace, where they can just live and let live. No, no, I got to control you. I got to take your stuff. I got to be in, in, in control of it. So you saying we're all like that. We're, we're like that. But... That is the very reason that the founders of our country worked so hard on our Constitution, because they knew there was a natural tendency to want to control, a natural tendency for government to want to grow, to infiltrate, and to control. And it was to give the people a tool which would allow us to remain free. It is being challenged, probably to the severest degree right now. So were they also driven by power? The founders? Uh, they were different. Tell, tell, me, tell me in what way. Uh, because they actually, people like George Washington, declined to be made a monarch. People wanted them to be the monarch. Mm -hmm. He said, no, that's not the system that we have. This is about the people and the freedom of the people. And you look at, uh, you know, John Adams. And, you know, he said... Our Constitution was designed for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate for the governance of any other. Uh, you, had, you look at some of the writings of people like Thomas Jefferson who realized how important it was for people to maintain freedom. And even though he had slaves, and several of the founders had slaves, several didn't, but several did, uh, most of them ended up freeing their slaves. And I think realizing the internal conflict, when you're saying that all men are created equal, but then you have slaves. But, you know, those who hate the United States have tried to make slavery a unique issue for us. And they say we are particularly evil because we had slavery. But if you know anything about world history, you know that virtually every society has to do with, with slavery and that there are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been at any point in time when you look at human trafficking. And the number one consumer of it 
the United States of America. So do we still have some issues? <laughs> Absolutely. There's no question about it. But we're not unique because of slavery. We are unique only in the sense that we had so many people who were vehemently opposed to slavery that we fought a bloody civil war to get rid of it. Uh, and that's really what we need to teach our children. We need to teach them that during slavery, there were a lot of people from all kinds of backgrounds who you know, established the Underground Railroad, mm. who did all kinds of things to try to undermine that concept of human bondage. So, so you you said something. When I asked you the question about when President Biden, uh, what you know, the inauguration, did you expect it to be what it is today? And you said you had an idea because of uh, who was behind it. And I said, are these people that the public knows about? And you said they have a general sense. Then I ask you, why would they want to do it? This has been going on for about twenty years. Is this specifically a twenty-year thing, or is this a thing? And oh. then you said it's been going on for a while. Because if you go back twenty Long years, president that. was President Bush. So you know, uh, 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 junior, are you, so this is not a 20 year thing. This has been going on it's, for a while. It's been going on for a very long internally. time. Internally. Yes. I know Milton Friedman once said, you know, the only Marxists that are left in the world are the ones in college universities in the U.S. Well, think about this. Uh, in the late 50s, Nikita Khrushchev said to Dwight Eisenhower, your grandchildren's children will live under communism and we won't have to fire a shot. So what did he know? He knew th what some of the things that were going on already. He knew about the plan to gain control of the media and the schools and to replace faith in God with faith in government and to raise the national debt to astronomical levels so that you could justify other things. He knew all of that was going to occur and how successful it would be, and it is successful. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. You it, it, it's successful. And that's why we need to stop it. If, if we really want our children and our grandchildren to live in freedom, the kind of freedom that we had growing up, we have to stand up. We can't simply allow this to continue. Dr. Carson, for me, you know, one may say uh, uh, fear is a great motivator. Right, fear sharpens listening. Mm. When people are afraid, they listen. When people are not afraid, they don't listen. This right. is valid in voting, in marketing, in sales, in, in pandemics, in pandemics, in anything. Right. So, but somebody from the left may say, "Well, the right is selling fear that the communists are trying to take over America." Okay. Then the left, the right may sell that the left is trying to control America, and you got to be very careful because of you know what they're doing. You know, they're, they're, they want to control you. So which fear should we be buying? You know, because the uh, left says the right is trying to go back and take away all your freedoms and, you know, take away women's rights. And they want to go back to what it was back in the days. And they may even take this away from you and take that away from you. Both sides are selling a fear. How does the voter sit there and say, which fear is accurate? Could they both be real? Is one fake? Who do I trust? I would say trust your eyes and trust your ears and trust your heart. You know, open your eyes and see what's going on. Um, it, does it appear that people are trying to indoctrinate our kids? What do you think? When uh, they're telling little boys and little girls you might not be a little boy or a little girl. Uh, what are they trying to do when they're telling kids that the most important determinant in your life is the color of your skin? 
when they're telling white kids that you and your ancestors are oppressors and are responsible for all this, telling black kids and minorities that you are victims and you'll never be able to achieve because of the way that this system is set up. Does that sound like indoctrination or just benign chatter? I don't think so. Open your eyes and open your ears when you know, you're telling and confusing children. Childhood is supposed to be a time of joy and learning. And you're taking little kids and saying, do you think you're really a girl? You, you think you're really a boy? Now, children are naturally curious, and children are suggestible. So, you know, it's sort of like taking a kindergartner and trying to teach them calculus. They're not ready for that. Hmm. They're not even close to ready for that. That's very abusive. Um, or do you think, maybe it's okay. You know, open your eyes and open your ears and listen to your heart. You know that's not right. You know how hard it is uh, to do that because when you open your eyes and you open your ears, 90% of the messaging is coming from one place. Mm -hmm. So if I only take the counsel of open my eyes and open my ears, I'm only hearing one side of the argument 90% of the time. And that's why I said also listen to your heart. People, there are things that people, for instance, we know what a woman is. Let's not let people confuse us about. We've known for ever since we've known about genetics. XX woman, XY man. End of story. But can you confuse people about it? Absolutely. How effective is gaslighting and the usage of disinformation? You know, how, how, how effective is that? I know, you know, we've heard the KGB member from the past when that one interview, the way they're going to do it is, you know, the usage of disinformation. But how effective is that model? Well, look how effective it was in Germany. You know, think back to the 30s and the 40s. And... You just take a lie and you continue to repeat it, put it into various forms, and uh, pretty soon people begin to believe that it's true. I can't believe that most of the people in Germany actually grew up believing that stuff, but hearing it all the time, having it foisted on you from several different directions... And you start to say, mm, okay, yeah, maybe. Okay, so then, then, then the counsel of open your eyes, open your ears, and, you know, open your heart, yet you're being fed so much disinformation and gaslighting to the point where it's easy to get people to eventually second-guess themselves. Right? I mean, what's the art of war, the art of competition, you know, boxing, half the battle is convincing the other guy that he's not as good as you. Half the battle is getting the other person to, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if if the majority of the populace is naive, that is a very effective strategy. So to only say, listen, you know, see and heart, is that enough? Well, you have to spend a little bit of time listening to a lot of different things. You can't just listen to one source. You can't just listen to, you know, 
NBC or Fox or CNN, uh, you have to vary what you're listening to, and you have to be willing to have open conversations with people. It makes a big difference. And, you know, I grew, I grew up in Detroit, you know, a very liberal left-wing place, and in Boston, a very liberal left-wing place, and then went off to college in New Haven, a very liberal left-wing place, and then went to medical school in Ann Arbor, a very liberal <laughs> left-wing mm-hmm. place, and then came and did my internship and residency in Baltimore, a very liberal left-wing so guess what? I was a liberal left-winger. And then uh, one day I did something that liberals aren't supposed to do. I listened to a conservative. That was Ronald Reagan. And I said, this guy sounds just like my mother. <laughs> he says the same things that she says. What were the types of things he was saying that resonated with you? This is in, I assume, 1980 or 79? Mm-hmm that the person who's most responsible for what happens to you is you, uh, not someone else. Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is very big. And at the same time, as a young attending neurosurgeon, I was seeing so many patients and people uh, who were dependent on the government, uh, who were healthy, able-bodied people. And uh, I said, this is absolutely wrong. These people could be successful and doing well in our society, and they're dependent, and they've become victims. And I determined at that point that, you know, not only would I be a physician, but I was, I was going to work toward helping people get out of poverty. While you're looking at these guys, that's what you're thinking to yourself. I'm going to help these guys get out of poverty. Yeah. <sighs> Got it. Okay. So uh, listen, watch, see, heart, consume content from the other side. Uh, don't just listen to content from your own side. Be open to other ideas. And be willing to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, communication is so vitally important. Have you noticed that on these radical left-wing college campuses, they don't want to have a conversation with the other side. They don't want students exposed to the other side. Have you noticed that? They're doing a lot of kicking out people they don't agree with, right? Exactly. And, you know, when people get married, before they get married, you know, they can't keep their hands off each other. They just love, and when they're away from each other, they're on the telephone talking Mm -hmm. to each other. Before they get divorced, they stop talking. Hmm. The next thing you know, their spouse is the devil incarnate. That's what happens. And that's what's happening to our country right now with the polarization. Everybody getting in their respective corners and hurling hand grenades at each other rather than having open discussion. I think you would find that the most radical left winger and the most radical right winger agree on 90% of stuff. It's that 10% that the media takes and they stir it up and they magnify it and they try to make each other, each people, people hate each other. Uh, people who live peacefully together for the last 20 years, mm. all of a sudden now they hate each other because they have different yard signs. I mean, we, the American people, can't allow this to happen because they know 
that the only way to destroy this country is from the inside. You said talking. Yesterday I saw an article from, is it Axios or who's Axios, the article? Axios, yep. Axios, and I saw this article about the fact that many leaders are afraid to share their opinions today publicly. I CEOs, executives, did you see that article? Mm-hmm. CEOs, executives. It's like, listen, I'm better off just not saying anything, even though I agree with them. If you look at this post, Tyler, if we can put this up, difference between being public and private opinions, right? Uh-huh. So you look at right there, this is from June 8th. It's a survey of 3,334 American adults conducted May 23rd to June 8th. CEOs should take a stand on controversial social issues. 14% privately agree, 28% publicly agree. Hmm. Public schools focus too much on racism in the U.S. 33% privately agree, 43% publicly agree. This used to be a bigger percentage where we publicly agreed. Mask wearing was effective to stop COVID-19. 47% publicly agree, 59% uh, I'm sorry, 47% privately, 59% publicly. Discussing gender identity in public schools is inappropriate for K-3 children. 53% privately agree, 63% publicly agree. Abortion should be left up to a woman and her doctor, 58%, 67%. And, and when you go down and look at this, I, one of the things that we become, because when I got into business, one of my mentors gave me some advice. He said, look, there's three things you should never talk about with people. Don't talk politics, don't talk religion, and don't talk personal life, sex, things like that. I'm right. like, okay. And guess what we like to talk about? I like <laughs> to debate God, I like to debate politics, and I like to debate marriage, relationships, sex, all that stuff. because. It's a big part of our lives, but exactly. it's a form of silencing. So how much risk do leaders have today for, because by the way, by, I, so I sat down with a YouTuber last week, 4 million subscribers, mm-hmm. player in the marketplace. And one of the questions he asks is, when did you get comfortable talking about politics? And I said, just so you know, I know what you're thinking. Because mm-hmm. in the YouTube world, you know, when they see somebody talking about issues that really matter, they're like, oh, that guy's about to lose everything he's got because right. you're not supposed to talk about it. He had such a big brand with business and entrepreneurship. Look, he's about to lose it because he's touching these subjects. He's going to lose an audience, all this other stuff. Okay. The alternative to me of being silenced, I just can't live with that. I lived like right. that for 10 years in Iran. It's not part of my DNA to do that. It's the reason why we're in America. It's the reason why I started a business. It's the reason why I'm a capitalist, right? Why do you think so many leaders today are afraid to publicly discuss important issues that both themselves, their families are being impacted, and the people at their workplace? Well, because there are consequences for it. There's no question about that. But remember, as our national anthem says in the end of the first answer, the home of the brave, the land of the, land of the free. You can't be the land of the free if you're not the home of the brave. So unless you're actually willing to stand up for what you believe in, uh, your freedom is going to be gradually eroded. And that's been the history of societies throughout the history of the world. The United States has been different up until now. And I say this is probably the most extreme challenge to who we are that we have ever had right now and uh, we're on the precipice of deciding which way we're going to go are we going to be like everybody else or is this truly going to be the shiny city on the hill that represents freedom and justice 
Can I follow up on that with you? And, and this is an article that I think we can even reference. And then there's a, a question at the end. It says self-silencing. That's the terminology that Axios is using. Is people saying what they think others want to hear rather than what they actually truly feel, right? And it's skewing our understanding of how Americans really feel about abortion, COVID, um, what children are taught in school, and other hot-button issues. Uh, and th then it goes on to say why it matters. This is the best predictor of private behavior and private opinion. Now, obviously, this is we're talking about current times, but I remember first seeing you uh, when it you know in the in the mainstream media at the national prayer breakfast. Mm -hmm. This is under the Obama tenure. Uh, I don't know what year it was exactly, but no, you 2013. 2013, okay, and you uh, two seats away from. I mean, you're standing at the podium. Obama's there. Michelle Obama. I think Jeff Sessions was the one next right. to you. So, um, and he was, this is before the Jeff Sessions, sure. Trump, you know, right. that whole thing. But you received national headlines for essentially calling out Obama indirectly, but standing right there, talking about this exact same topic right here. So has it gotten worse since Obama? Like what's, what's changed? How much worse is it now? Well, uh, during that speech, you know, I talked about political correctness. Right. And how it was antithetical to the principles of freedom and uh, that if it continued to grow, it would be a major blow to our country. And it has continued to grow, and it is a major blow. It has morphed into wokeism. And, uh, you know, it is is a real problem because the rest of the world looks to this country mm -hmm. for freedom for examples and for leadership. And if we go down, believe me, the rest of the world goes down too. What was the world like before America became the great power? Think about it. You had all these despots going around crushing anybody mm. who was weaker than they were. Pre-World War II, you're referring to, I assume. That subsided to a large degree as our power increased. But as we are becoming less powerful and less respected, those despots are starting to rise up again. Do you have a follow-up? No, I will. To your point, you're saying the despots are trying to are starting to rise up again currently, or how long has that been going on? Uh, for the last couple of years, you, you, you see Putin, you see... Uh, you know, China, you see mm -hmm. North Korea starting to kick up its heels. Uh, and these are things to be expected when you don't have a powerful example mm -hmm. like the United States that will stand for principle. But if you're saying the last X amount of years, you're talking the Bush years, you're talking Obama years, you're talking Trump and now Biden. So there's two Democrats, two Republicans. So well, have you get, seen a change under different it's, presidential... It's uh, gotten worse under the current administration. I mean, starting with the debacle in Afghanistan. I mean, that was like taking a loudspeaker mm -hmm. and announcing to the world, we have no idea what we're doing. There's a lot of people who say it was time to get the hell out of Afghanistan, though. It was time to get out, but you have to get out in an orderly way. You, yeah. you don't leave $80 billion worth of high-tech equipment there and take out your military force before you mm -hmm. take out the people they're protecting. I mean, th a third grader would know that. Mm -hmm. But as far as despots go, um, you know, Obama received a lot of heat for his sort of 
apology tour around the Middle East, right? Whatever he's doing in Iran and around nuclear deal and, and the right. other. And then Trump received a lot of heat for cozying up to dictators, whether you want to call it Putin or Kim Jong-un or um, the gentleman in the Philippines. I forget his name. Um, anyone got his name? Yeah. Whatever. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Durant, whatever his name is. But he received a lot of, uh, whether it's, M- what is it? Dude. Duterte, it's Duterte. Duterte, right? exactly. Or MBS from Saudi Arabia. So is there enough blame to go around for both sides? Oh, there's, the plenty, to- there's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, but it seems to be accelerating now. In uh, the last 18 months, you're saying? Our weakness seems to be much more manifest in the last 18 months or so. And when people don't believe that you have power, they take advantage of you. And, uh, you know, look at what we're doing with our trading policies with China. I mean, right now their economy is quite weak. Uh, They've got some significant issues going on. This would be the appropriate time to begin to apply some pressure uh, to get them to start acting in a way that's more reasonable and fair to everybody else, not just to their advantage. What do you think the current regime could be doing? Because correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if Biden changed his stance on what Trump was doing with all the tariffs and everything that was going on. And obviously he's not as vocal about China. Well, he's, he, he has removed many of the tariffs. Mm-hmm. He's made it much easier uh, for China to trade. We should not be making it easier. We should be making it more difficult and we should be pressuring them you know, not to encourage slave labor with the Uyghurs. And, uh, you know, basically when we see people with policies that oppose uh, the kinds of things that our country has stood for, we shouldn't be getting in bed with them. I I got a question for you. So the other day, and I, I don't know why I asked this in the last few weeks, the other day my kids and I were watching Pearl Harbor Mm-hmm. And the the story with Ben Affleck and the other actor and you know this whole love story and they go to war and what the reason was my son asks, so why why did Japan attack us? What was that all about? And you know the story is about oil and negotiation and mm-hmm. increasing you know putting ninety four percent of money in U S on the hold and they couldn't yeah. touch it and tariffs and all this other stuff so. That was Japan's way of retaliating to say, hey, we're also strong here. And then, you know, FDR comes back years later, I think five years later, Truman drops the nuclear bomb and, you know, Hiroshima. We know the story, right? right? Okay. (laughs) So so then uh, these boys are eight and ten years old. They said, so, Daddy, did we do the right thing dropping, uh, you know, the nuclear bomb? Then my other son asks, do we do the right thing, you know, holding on to their money and taxing them for the oil and the way we negotiated. And then did they do the right thing attacking us first? Should we have not done anything? And, you know, because I said when a nuclear bomb dropped, it cost this many people's lives and it did this and it did that. And when they attacked us, 3,000 wounded, 3,000 soldiers died, three to 4,000, all these people were wounded. We lost all this equipment. You know, could this have been prevented, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So then bring that to today. Some may say when I have late night debates with guys that are comfortable talking, that are not willing to talk on camera, there's right. a different conversation sure. that on camera everybody wants to talk. Well, I don't really want to touch politics privately. Right. That's all I want to talk about with a cigar. Yeah. Some may say, well, you know, 
Trump's method of having strong tariffs on China and putting a chokehold on them is the reason why we got a bio warfare and COVID came out and they did this and look what happened to America. And because he was strong arming them so much that they had to respond. And the way they responded, they did it in a way that they blamed somebody else and didn't take the responsibility and they cost the world trillions of dollars, but they got away with murder. And guess what? They got the guy out of the house, you know, and they, mm-hmm. he's no longer running White House. So China essentially won because Trump was over negotiating with China. So now that's them. Sure. My question to you, when it comes down to foreign affairs, people on the right will say, look, you want to talk about issues? Nobody talked about ISIS under Trump. Everybody thought World War III was going to get started. It didn't. Palestine and Israel, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that had never happened before, you know, meeting with this person, meeting with that person. Russia was leaving, you know, Ukraine alone. China wasn't doing anything with uh, Taiwan. And then when you say that argument, then the left uh, people on the other side will say, well, yeah, but if it wasn't for him, we would have had COVID because he pushed China so hard. What's your argument when it comes down to foreign relations that 90% of the issues the, the world really is not aware of? It's privately that's being negotiated amongst the people of power. Do you think a bit of the strong arming that Trump had is what caused China to retaliate in a way that is not going to come back to them and they're never going to be held accountable for it? I think there's evil in the world. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I think we have to oppose it. And we have to decide what is right. And we follow that line. What is moral and what is right? Are there going to be consequences no matter which direction you go? Absolutely. Because you have good and you have evil. And we have to stay on the side of what's good. That's the way I look at it. You didn't really answer my question, though. So my question is, you're, you're a very smart man. You're a very uh, um, wise man. You know, I, I think one of the things we, when I watched you, when he gave that speech with uh, President Obama sitting right there, that's the day when I realized you have some brass. You know, you're, and I know you're, as a Christian man, that the brass is not in Proverbs or, you know, Ecclesiastes, but yeah. in the streets, you have brass. And you, you, you stood up and you had guts, maybe another word to use. I said, I like this guy. He's tough. Because some people, when they hear you speak, you, by the way, your tone confuses the audience. And I don't think it necessarily... They, it, think, it, they think I'm soft and weak because I, I don't get excited. I, I, I actually think it doesn't help you in the marketing side of things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it helps when, because, uh, uh, when it comes down to elections and th- things like that because you know it's, it's marketing, it's yeah. showmanship, it's all of that stuff, and that's not your style. But if right. you want to put it together, mm-hmm. you showed that day that you could put it together if you want to put a show on. You don't have a problem doing that. But going back to it, um, you're sharp, you're wise, you're calculating to have a 70-team man put together where it's such detail to be able to separate, conjoin twins the amount of detail that goes in that and the percentage of you making a mistake to costing two people's lives that's going to be on your hands for it. That's, that's detail, that's methodical, that's strategy, that's technical. That's a lot of that. How do you personally feel about the fact that maybe when somebody comes after us, 
you know, or, you know, we have certain relations, which we know they've been making a lot of money off U.S., way more than we've been making. Then we turn them into a superpower, right. not the other way around. Without us, China is not who they are today. They've been no for many years. They've been a superpower, but they go, they go up and down quite often because they like right. to control and the people realize it doesn't work. They have a fall, then they come back up and they fool the people and they control again and it falls. It's just a very cyclical cycle they go right. through. But at the same time, when it comes down to, you know, your president and you're going with the your number one enemy, there isn't anybody that's close to China. Russia's big, but not at the level of China. Right. Um, how should that be handled when it comes out again? Next person gets elected, say it's DeSantis, say it's Trump, say it's Michelle Obama, whoever it's going to be president again, you're going to face China again. No question. And they're going to push the envelope again. Should you double down on tariffs the way we did before, where it's like, add another 5%, add another 10%, add another this? Well, should that be our approach? You have to inflict pain you have to discourage that kind of behavior and that's how you do it so uh, there's probably a host of things that could be done that they wouldn't particularly like and I think this is where negotiation comes in and you start to say look this is where we are this is where you are uh, Let's see if we can work in such a way that we both benefit. If not, uh, these are the things that we're not going to be able to, to cooperate with you on. And you might find them rather distasteful, but this is the reason that we're doing them. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that. We talked about this where I said, if we would have gone four more years of pain like that to China, I don't think they could have handled it. I don't think so either. Yeah. And, you know, look at Russia. Now, what did we do with them? We empowered them. We gave them the energy keys. Mm -hmm. um, and do you think uh, Putin would have gone into Ukraine if we had not given him all of that power and we weren't giving him all of this money? Of course not. So, I mean, there are consequences. And we find ourselves in difficult situations because we do things that don't make sense. Is green energy a good goal to have renewable energy? Absolutely. Are we ready to switch everything over to it right now? Absolutely not. Do we have a wealth of uh, fossil fuels? And have we learned how to extract them in a safe way so that we have the cleanest air and the cleanest water since it's been measured? Absolutely. Should we use those things? To get where we want to get with the renewable energy? Absolutely. Should we just throw them away and create a giant chasm and, and further the time when we'll be able to have green energy? Absolutely not. But that's exactly what we've done. And at the same time, empowering Putin. It makes zero sense when you don't use your brain, when you just react to things. And you say, because my enemy or my foe use this, I don't want to use it. So just sh shut down the pipeline, shut down all of this stuff, let's put all these regulations in place. That's kind of the way a three-year-old thinks. But that's on both sides still, Dr. Carson. Uh, not, not, not this blatantly. I mean, when you do things that hurt the American people right. so that you can get back at your political adversary... You know, this is this is 
probably one of the most blatant examples of that that's ever occurred. Is it country. fair to say that to the left, Putin is their number one enemy and to the right, China is the number one enemy? Is that a way of putting it? Would you? I wouldn't simplify but, but you know what I'm saying? Degree, but I, I, I think perhaps uh, on their list of priorities, that may be the case. Right. So, so the, the left uh, uh, Democrats don't want to see Russia getting stronger and they see that as a threat and to the right maybe it's more China than it is uh, Russia. I ask that because when you put terrorists, do you remember the CFO of uh, Huawei where the daughter was in Canada was doing business with mm-hmm. Iran and then all of a sudden President Trump said Huawei you're out and you got to get out of here and even though maybe it was good for us to have a third phone to have a competitor because in the US right now we really don't have a second competitor on phones. Tru- truthfully nowadays if a person has a droid, I think you don't fully understand what a blue text is and how much you're screwing up group texts when you're, <laughs> when you're the only person that's green. You know, So I think America needed competition, but at the same time, if Huawei were using it to get information out of US to mm-hmm. take it back there, I think that's also the right move to make. But, but what, what, what have we done with respect to China and Russia? We have driven them together. together. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> And that creates an even bigger problem. No question about that. No question about that. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were saying something. Yeah, so, uh, you know, our our foreign policy is not particularly strong right now because we don't really have a foreign policy. We kind of react. And uh, what we really need to do, and, you know, Democrats and Republicans can sit down together and openly discuss what are the things that are beneficial for our country and for our people. I think that's the reason that so many people have been attracted to Trump, because he puts America first. But, you know, that that doesn't need to be a political issue. Of course you take care of your own people first. That's why when you get on an airplane, they make the announcement in case of an emergency, mm-hmm. your mask will drop down. Put yours on first. That's right. And then help kids. your neighbor. You're not yeah. advocating wearing masks, though. No. Okay. I mean, let's just be clear here, Dr. Carson. Come on now. And only in case of emergency, though. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but I, I understand what you're saying. I guess, I guess where I'm going with this is the following. Uh, we know America is not proud of their president today. They don't wake up in the morning having the poster of their president. I would have to say in the last hundred years, if we had to say which president has the least amount of posters in offices, it's probably Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like, you know how people proudly, yeah. I saw people proudly put up Biden, uh, uh, what do you call it? Obama, Obama on the wall. Yeah. Proudly. Oh, people beyond. Proudly, oh, change. Beyond. People, not even a question. But people proudly put up Trump. Not a question. But I would say people proudly put up Bush and, Bush and Clinton. Okay, I, I would go into offices. I to would a see lesser Bush. extent of Trump and Both Obama, the, no yes. question. But even right. if you go, yeah. you know, people proudly put up Reagan for sure. People JFK. proudly put up JFK, no doubt. I'm telling you, the poster business for Joe Biden is, is struggling. They're probably yeah. fine. You know who person. disagrees with you? Who? Nobody. Yeah. So nobody's so, like, oh, Biden, he's the man. I love that guy. Yeah. No, I. He's the anti-Trump. That's right. why he got elected. Right. He, he is the. He's the. He, he's not the best anti-Trump, but he is the anti-Trump. Right. He is the anti-Trump that mm-hmm. he could have had. Uh, so, so for you, you know, 2016, 2015, you guys went through it. You've actually right. been through the process. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you went through the process and you were like, you know, yeah, you're just throwing the towel, you know, mm-hmm. throwing your name. You to, weren't tiptoeing in there. You no, in no, there. no. You didn't right. go in it to 
uh, hey, I'd like on my Wikipedia profile to say former presidential candidate. Right. That wasn't you. That's not yeah. you. You went in there and uh, there's a part of me and, and I, you know, I feel free to push back and disagree with me on this year. There's a part of me that feels like, you know, you read the stories of the Kennedy family and you read the stories of Bush family. Mm-hmm. They may politically be on different ends, whatever. But as far as legacy wise family, the kind of a last name that they built, both of them was go make your money, take care of your family and then figure out a way to contribute to society. And one of the ways to do it is through politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, go get back, you know, go get involved in politics. Is it fair to assume that maybe there was some plans that every time you were seeing stuff happen and tell, telling yourself, I think I can do that better. I think I can bring value here. Was the decision of running something that was an aspirational thing that you thought about 10, 20, 30 years before you ran? Or was it one of those things where like, you know what, I think I'm going to run right now? No, it was, uh, it was after the prayer breakfast in 2013. Uh, and all of a sudden, everybody was saying, you should run for president which I thought was kind of a silly idea. You crushed it, though. And I said, I said, if I just ignore these people, it'll go away. So I tried that. That didn't work. Every place I went, there were people with placards, run, been run. I had over 500,000 petitions in my office. Wow. And uh, I finally just said, Lord, you know, I don't want to run for president. You know, my life is relatively peaceful. Why do I do that? And I said... Besides that, I don't have all the things that people who run for president have, a Rolodex with all the important names, an organization, a bunch of money. I said, if I had all those things, I might consider it. The next thing I knew, I had all those things. Mm-hmm. had an organization raising more money than the RNC mm-hmm. each month. I mean, it was ridiculous. But uh, what was fascinating uh, during the process was traveling all over this country to the smallest little hamlets in North Dakota or Alabama. And what I discovered is the American people, for the most part, have common sense. They really do, all over this country. Not so much in, not so much in Washington, D.C., but, I mean, throughout the country. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And a lot of stuff that comes out of D.C. does not represent the people. This is a really big disconnect here that's going on. And we have got to get people, good people, to get into government. Not just in elected positions, but also the career government employees. You know how they say it's dirty? Politics is dirty? Okay. Well, if there's anybody that's going to know if it is or if it isn't. So is it dirtier than you thought, or is it dirty as as exactly how dirty you thought it was going to be? Well, when I went there, I knew it was a swamp. Uh, I found out it was worse than that. It's a cesspool. Hmm. Can you unpack that? You know, examples of why you think it is. Well, for instance, uh, I was convinced that if I became Secretary of Housing and Urban Development we would be able to put forward programs that would allow people through their own efforts to climb out of poverty. And I said, everybody should be on board with this. And uh, I was pretty amazed with how vehemently opposed some people on the Hill were to people becoming independent. Because if people become independent, Mm. you can't control their votes. You can't be their savior. It's a real problem. 
It's a real problem. And everybody has, you know, their own little pet projects and things that they want. And they don't really care about the nation as a whole. Is that left and right? You're not just saying one side. Both sides. One side more so than the other. But, uh, yeah, it's it's rampant throughout Washington. And, and it's so important. And one of, the, one of the things that we have at American Cornerstone is something called the Executive 101 mm-hmm. series. Uh, and we have multiple interviews on there uh, from people in government positions to tell how those government positions work and how they interact and a host of other things because we want people not to think of government as something that's mysterious. And we want good people to know what they're potentially getting into. But if we leave it only for the bad folks, what are we going to wind up with? With your with your role as the director of the HUD, right, um, you talk about you thought it was a swamp. It turned out to be a cesspool. What was your role supposed to be in your mind? And then what did it actually turn out to be? Because I don't think a lot of people really understand what it is to be the director of housing and urban development. Uh, walk us through that. Well, what you really want to do is, uh, you know, create adequate housing. Uh, you want to address the homelessness problems uh, that people have, which were, are severe in this country. Mm-hmm. Affordable housing issues. You know, we actually uh, were making excellent progress with one of the worst places, which is Los Angeles. Uh, working with uh, the Democratic mayor, Garcetti, mm-hmm. uh, with the governor, Newsom, with the county executives, we'd actually come up with a very good plan, and then COVID hit. But it is possible to work together. And, uh, you know, that's what I saw my role as. I, I think it's so important that we don't give up on being able to work together because we, the American people, are not each other's enemies. But we're allowing people to foment hatred and division among us. And we've got to have some leadership that understands what's going on and is willing to provide the kind of example without compromising our safety. How difficult was it to actually work together? You gave, you gave an example working with Garcetti and Newsom. We were able to work with uh, de Blasio. We were able to work with a lot of people that most people on the right would say, oh, those people are hopeless. Is that something unique to your abilities to find compromise? Was that well, something from you, the uh, uh, top uh, down that came, you know? I think you have to be willing to do it. You have to be willing to actually sit down you have to be willing to be able to look at the facts you have to be able to Mm -hmm. understand what things can be compromised where can you meet in the middle and what things are principles that cannot be compromised and who was the voice of reason or who are you who were you relying on to say hey this is the agenda work with them don't work with them or was it were you working directly with president trump on that was that your team i would keep him informed yeah you know he Sometimes wasn't particularly enthusiastic about people like de Blasio. <laughs> but was he enthusiastic him? about you and what you were looking to do? He was, was it part of his agenda? He was, was, it? he was very supportive. So here's a question. So how did you guys go from on stage, you know, back and forth, the comments you would make, all of that stuff? How do you set that aside and then say, okay, I'm going to work with this guy? How do you do that? Well, 
for me, it's because it's not about me. It's about America. It's about what can we do to make this the kind of place that it was supposed to be. How can it be this shiny city on the hill, the place of hope? It can't be that if everything is about me. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're one of the few cabinet members that actually made it through all four years. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Why do you think so many people weren't able to last a year, two years, three years, four years like you? Is it attitude? Is it mindset? Is it the relationship well, with Trump? What was your unique skill set? There that? were a number of reasons. You may remember early on, first of all, how difficult it was for us to get our assistant secretaries, deputy secretaries through. I didn't have an assistant secretary for the first five months. Through the Senate, you're saying? Yeah. To get confirmed? And I didn't have a deputy secretary for eight months. Uh, I think they hoped that if they didn't give me my people, I would get discouraged and go away. But they don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know <laughs> me, y'all. You don't know Dr. Ben Carson, y'all. Uh, and we, we got the right people. But you remember how they made accusations against almost all of the secretaries? And there are all kinds of uh, claims made. In my case, you know, he bought this $31,000 dining room table. And yet he's trying to cut uh, funding for poor people. Uh, you know, that was the narrative that they wanted. Uh, obviously, it wasn't true. And, but the IG had to waste a million dollars of taxpayers' money doing an investigation, mm -hmm. which, of course, showed nothing because there was nothing to show. And then that didn't work, so they said, well, Carson's wife has an office at HUD, and his sons are involved in running the organization. That was a $2 million taxpayer, which showed nothing because nothing was, none of it was true. But bear in mind, during all of that, you know, I had to hire personal lawyers because they don't cover that. Hmm. And I spent tens of thousands of dollars. One of my sons spent over $150,000, you know, defending himself. Um, and there were some of the secretaries who couldn't afford that. $150,000 your son spent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for them, it was easier just to drop out. and uh, Easier to leave the cabinet, you're saying, rather right. than deal with the drama and just... And, and the finances. Are you yeah. talking as far as, I mean, chief of staffs <laughs> came and went, generals came and went. Are what you he's trying to say is it's more expensive to have a job, <laughs> you, know, you know, than to just say, yeah, I'll resign and I'll have somebody else do this job. Is that kind of how I'm reading this? Uh, they just did not have the money to fight it. That's that's expensive. So 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 if I get this job and I'm, what do you get paid for secretary? What, what's two hundred thousand dollars? Okay, I mean two hundred thousand dollars. Not okay. not a whole lot of money. No, it's not a whole lot well, of money. Well, not when you're a doctor and you're making five you know, x right. that amount. I assume. Right. Yeah. So, but even we even with that, so a lot of these guys that get those jobs, they get sued or not even sued, investigation, you have to hire accountants, you have to hire lawyers, so the cost of that, sometimes it's more than the salary they're getting oh, paid. Oh, without question. So why take the job? Well, a lot of people you know, want to do things for their fellow Americans. They want to serve. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, well you're talking about if like, like a Wilbur Ross, for example, that guy's... Right, well money was A lot no of money with that, exactly. So a lot of people take jobs in the government, this is to Pat's point, the final 20 years of a lot of people's lives. Breaking news, a lot of people in politics are over 60. I don't know if you know that, but like, <laughs> not a lot of young people involved in, in Congress and in, uh, in right. certain cabinet members. But 
so a lot of people already have made their money and have already made their career. So they're almost, it's giving back. Pat talks about this all the time. The four chapters of your career, number one, uh, first 20 years is don't screw it up. Don't end up in jail. Don't end up killed on any right. issues. And we can talk about that. Your first 20 years, second 20 years, I believe is make your money. That's exactly what Pat did. Third, uh, third chapter is pursue passions, right? Pursue things that you care about. And the fourth chapter is give back. Right. So you're in, uh, the give back phase. A lot of people in Congress are in the give back or in uh, politics are in the give back phase. Right. So a lot of people, you're talking about the people didn't have the money, but they did though. A lot of those people. Well, a lot of the people who dropped out didn't. <laughs> they a didn't lot of people who dropped out didn't have the money. Right. Makes sense. Who, who, who would you like to see run that is not going to be running? For example, but well, we don't know who's not going to well, be running. Well, no, no, maybe, maybe that uh, that hasn't ran yet. I'm not talking about the typical names that we see. I'm not talking right. Cruz, Rubio, Huckabee. I'm not talking Walker. You know, at one point, Star, Jeb. I'm not talking those guys. Who would you like to see run? We know DeSantis, Trump. So take the usual suspects out that everybody's talking about. Okay, you want some dark horses? I, I want to know, like, if you, you know, like I have some names. I mm -hmm. sit there and I say, I would love to see that guy run. I would love to see this person run. Who would you like to see run? Well, bear in mind, you know, 20 years ago uh, or, you know, before Clinton became the nominee, no one knew this far ahead that he was going to be the guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are a lot of very, very smart people in our country. Uh, and I would like to see some of those people who've been very successful uh, maybe even in more than one endeavor, which shows that they have the ability to assess situations. You need somebody who has some wisdom. Wisdom is much more important than experience. Uh, you look at a lot of people who are successful in the political arena who had no political experience before. It's because they're wise. They know how to listen and then to integrate information into an appropriate pattern of thinking. That's the kind of person or persons. Are you, are you teasing us? Is that what you're doing? Can we get a couple names? Is there anybody that you would say could be a businessman, a businesswoman, could be a current congressman, women, senate, governor, TV show host, you know, Military, I, any names? I don't want to give a name. Really? But are, are there any? Are there but, any? But I just want to give the criteria. I understand. What, what, what kind of people you, would, would, you know, I like to see? What kind of people would I support? Uh, are you a sports guy or a movie person or no? Are you? Uh, not particularly. No? You don't like movies? Did you ever see that one movie, Gifted Hands, with the uh, Cuba? <laughs> actually, a pretty good actor. Pretty good. He, play, he played a very interesting, you know, brilliant man. They actually did a very good job with that movie. I probably had twelve different movie producers who wanted to do a movie, but they all believed in artistic license. Mm. And you know how Hollywood mm -hmm. is. They would have had me having an affair with some icy nurse. <laughs> 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 I said, forget about that. But uh, this group did it the right way. They consulted with me. And did you notice how realistic the operating room scenes were? Mm -hmm. Those were real surgeons and operating really? room nurses that we recruited from local hospitals. 
Wow. <laughs> so let me ask, was Cuba Gooden Jr. the person you wanted him to start? Mm-hmm. He was your number one guy? Yeah, and he came uh, and spent some, some time with me studying my mannerisms and things like that. Mm-hmm. He's very so, good. So, so if he was the guy, can you give us a, the person that you would want to run? Maybe if you don't want to say the name, what business is this person in? What's their background? Well, uh, again, the, the background isn't as important as whether they were successful. So the key to you is purely successful. I need people who try to do things and are effective in doing them because those are people who are using their noggin. And that's what we need, people who are smart and people who care about others. You know, uh, we started, my wife and I started the Carson Scholars Fund 25 years ago. And uh, it was because we noted some surveys looking at the ability of our students to achieve academically. And there are 22 countries, uh, and we came in number 21 out of 22 in math and science. We were horrified. And uh, so we said, we need to find a way to encourage our kids. And I'd be going into these schools and giving talks, and there were all these trophies, all state basketball, all state wrestling, all state this, that, and the other. What about the academic superstars? What did they get? National Honor Society pen, pat on the head there, there, little nerd, you know. Beat it, geek. We said, we got to start doing some. So we started the program where we would identify students as early as the fourth grade who were academic superstars. You know, you had to have at least a 3.75 grade point average on a 4.0 scale. That was the first part of it. The second part of it, you had to demonstrate that you cared about other people mm. more than just the six weeks before the application was due. And because, you know, Hitler was smart, Marquis de Sade was smart, but they didn't care about other people. And we're trying to develop future leaders for our country. We need people who are smart and who care about other people. And, uh, you know, the program started in Baltimore. It expanded now. It's in all 50 states and Washington, D.C. Last year we gave out our 10,000th scholarship. And we also have a reading room program. We put in these reading rooms primarily targeting Title I schools where kids come from homes with no books or very few books, go to schools with poorly funded libraries. They're not likely to become readers. If you can get a kid reading at grade level by third grade, it changes the trajectory of their lives. Their likelihood of graduating from high school increases dramatically. And uh, so we started putting in these reading rooms. We've now put in over 250 uh, around the country. Those are the kinds of things that affect people's lives. So in other words, first of all, that's incredible that you've done that over the years, but is that a way of you saying that you'll be running? Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, I t- really don't want to get back okay. into that. So Dr. Carson, the, um, you, you actually gave a whole entire speech on being wise at PHP. Yeah. So it's, um, you're very smart, clearly. Uh, doctor, you're very wise. I think it's very evident that you do care about America and you don't put yourself first. You put America first. Um, you're clearly a strategist. You know what you're doing. You're not, you're not very mm-hmm. intentional. This is now two times that Pat has asked you, hey, what? who would you like to see run? I don't want to name names. And then, hey, you know, there's people tearing up America. There's people tearing up the country. The globalists, who are they? I don't want to name names. 
respect. I'm not. Try- mm-hmm. I don't think this question is going to pull names out, but I do want to ask: Why is it difficult to maybe name some names? Is it part of hey, listen, I don't want to pick sides. I don't want to call people out. I don't well, want the no, heat. Walk be- us through that because it it, it puts undue attention or pressure on people and that's not something that i want to do what's wrong with putting pressure on people (laughs) well well well, here's here's one thing Mm -hmm. i will say fine if it's somebody that's a teammate but if somebody that is in the way of hurting america don't you think we need to do that well, people who are hurting America, should we come out against them? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay. So when I asked you in the last 20 years who were some of the people, you didn't say any names. Would there be any specific names that are globalists that well, maybe behind closed doors are more driven by power? You, you, than- you take somebody like George Soros, who is a Hungarian and has been banned from Hungary. Mm-hmm. That should tell you a lot. You know, a man who aided the Nazis. Um who is funding these district attorneys uh, who are turning you know, violent criminals back out on the streets to terrorize the population. Um, I, don't, I don't mind naming that kind of evil. Mm-hmm. So Soros is on that list. Would you, would you say that a Klaus Schwab is on the list or the Rothschilds on that list or Clinton's uh, Bushes on that list? Uh, I would not go that far. Okay. Klaus Schwab, no? I mean, when um, you think of globalists, World Economic Forum, well, he's the tip I, of the spear, no? I'm, I'm not saying whether he's on or off the list. I, I know much more about the one that we just talked about. about Soros, got it. Hey, we got a name. I respect. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Dr. Carson, there's a few things that you said earlier that have really just been uh, hanging out in my mind. And you said that, that people are trying to change America from the inside due to power. And I think that brings a sense of maliciousness and malice to it. And it's, it's no secret that the temperature in the country is high. Even Trump just came out and said we need to lower the temperature. So, And you recently said that, that it's not about you. It's about making America what it was always set out to be. So I wonder if these people that are trying to change the country, the globalists, if you will, if it, if it is truly power and if there is malice behind it or if it's just hubris and arrogance and, and it's, it's a sort of expert class that thinks they know better, is there a difference? Is it power? Is it malicious? Because, again, if you bring that – that raises the temperature. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what people, if, if people need to lower the temperature or if they really need to understand that this is, people are trying to control you. People are trying to do sure. something evil. Well, remember, I also said that it is a natural tendency of mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go back through history. People want control. And not only of their own lives, but of people around them. And that's why the founders of our country were extraordinarily diligent individuals. And they studied every governmental system that has ever existed. They were eclecticists. They, they took the good things and they abandoned the bad things. And they used that to put together our Constitution in an attempt to keep people from taking control of everybody else. That was the whole purpose of our Constitution. Mm-hmm. You got your answer to your question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I, so I think it, it seems as though it is a human tendency to be malicious. It is. Okay. Can we go into some uh, can we go into some issues? Yeah. Is that okay with you if we go into some uh I love issues. All right, let's do that. Let's go into some issues <laughs> here that we have. 
first issue, uh, who would you like to see run in? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm just kidding. All right, so let's just go. First, first issue. We're not going to let you leave. We're in a vault, Dr. Carson. You're not leaving until you name right, names. So. This is McCarthyism. Biden signs Inflation Reduction Act into law. This is a CNN story I'm reading. President Joe Biden signs a sweeping $750 billion out of health care tax and climate bill into law at the White House. On Tuesday, the act accomplishes... Several key Biden legislative agenda items representing the tar- largest climate investment in American history and making major changes to health policy by giving Medicare the power for the first time to negotiate the price of certain prescription drugs and extending expiring health care studies for three years. The legislation will, redu- legislation will reduce the deficit, be paid for through new taxes, including a 15% minimum tax on large corporations and a fi- 1% tax on stock buybacks and boost the internal revenue serviceability to collect it will raise over $700 billion in government uh, revenue over 10 years and spend over $430 billion to reduce carbon emissions and extend subsidies for health insurance under the Affordable Care Act and use the rest of the new revenue to reduce the deficit thoughts on the new bill. Well, I think it should be offensive to most people because it assumes that people are simple enough to believe that if you name something Inflation Reduction Act, that that's what it is. <laughs> and of course, that's not what it is. It's a government intrusion into your life act. And it massively expands you know, government agencies like the IRS. 87,000 IRS agents. What do you think 87,000 IRS agents are there to do? Huh. Uh, they are there to try to get more of your money. And uh, it's not going to just be the billionaires and the multimillionaires. You could take all of their money. It won't be enough the way our government is spending at this point. So you got to go where the money is. It's Sutton's Law. Sutton, a famous train robber, they say, why do you rob, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> 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 and uh, so the government knows where the money is. It's, it's in the middle. It's in the middle class, and that's why they need so many agents to go in and get it. Uh, but, you know, also interfering with the way business is conducted. You know, this uh, 1% uh, tax for stock buybacks, that's going to have an impact on businesses uh, in America. One of the reasons that America was so successful is because we created an atmosphere that encouraged entrepreneurship and innovation and didn't have a ton of interference. That was one of the things that Alexis de Tocqueville noted when he came to America to study us in 1831 because the Europeans were fascinated. They couldn't understand how a nation barely 50 years old was already competing with them on virtually every level. How was that possible? Well, our business model was one of the things that he noted. He also noted that we had uh, a government that worked because we had checks and balances. And uh, he also noted that we had an educational system that was superior. He could find a mountain man in the middle of the woods and a guy could read. The guy could tell you about the Declaration of Independence. Um, If you want to be impressed, go back and look up a sixth grade exit exam from the 1800s. See what you had to know to to get a sixth grade certificate. 
It's pretty impressive, especially when you look at some of those man on the street interviews that we have today. You go out and you ask people, <laughs> this and they have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and so true. You know, th- this is a real problem because if people aren't knowledgeable, they're very easy to manipulate. And, uh, you know, our history is so important. The good, the bad, and the ugly, it's all important because your history gives you your identity, and your identity is the basis of your beliefs. And if you interrupt that chain, you become a leaf blowing in the wind. So standards and expectations are dropping when it comes down to education. Severely. And, uh, you know, this, this bill is just a gigantic intrusion of government into our lives. And this nation was supposed to be different. It was supposed to be about the people, not about the government. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. Did you see the video with the IRS agents being trained on how to use a gun? Did you see that video? I, I want to show that clip here in a minute. But before you do, before you play this clip, by the way, this video is going to, you'll be blown away by this video. But hang tight before I play this video. Just to, how long ago was Uvalde? Seven weeks? How long ago was Uvalde? Is it? Is it uh, two months ago. Two yeah, months ago? Eight so, weeks. so eight weeks ago? So Uvalde happens. The biggest discussion was, why aren't we, you know, putting a an armed cop at schools nationwide? Now, even if we don't put him in the best communities, mm-hmm. let's just say the bottom eighty percent of communities that are maybe not the safest. Right. Why don't we put a cop in all these places and invest resources into that? So, so the question then becomes. And by the way, if you're listening, I'm curious to know if you agree with this, give it a thumbs up. If you don't give it a thumbs down, I'm, I want to actually hear your thoughts on this here. If you're willing to use your taxpayer money, where you get 87,000 IRS agents who are being trained on how to use a gun, wait till you see this video, versus 87,000 cops to put at schools to protect another Uvalde from happening, which investment would you be willing to vote for more and say, I'm willing to pay taxpayer dollar for the 87,000 cops at public schools versus 87,000 IRS agents to come after me. What would you rather invest in? So to me, it's a logical answer to a question. How how is logic not winning today? Because you have politicians who are not interested in what's good for the people. So, And why do people keep voting for these guys, though? I mean, you can't say the people are dumb. Why are they voting for them? I'm so glad you asked that question because... This is a failure on behalf of many American citizens. They go into the voting booth and they look for the name that looks familiar. No, they just look for the R or the D. Or they do that. And, uh, you know, it could be Satan. They say, oh, yeah, I know that one. And uh, in many cases, it is. That's a problem. We have to be diligent. We have to take this privilege seriously of voting. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic. You know, the, the, the voting system in our country right now is looking at an interview uh, yesterday, an uh, individual from France talking about their system. And why is it that they're able to have the results the same night or two days later at the latest? Uh, well, they use paper ballots. <laughs> they save them. They have, there's no mail-in uh, at all. They used to have that. They stopped it in 1975, and the question was asked, why'd you stop it? Because there was so much cheating. It was too easy to cheat. Um, why don't we learn from some of these things? Why don't we learn about voting cheating? Because we want voting cheating. 
That would be the only reason. Because we want voting cheating. Right. Now you're going to the 2,000 mules, uh, you know, you're going to a whole different section now with this. I don't even have to go to that section. I just say, when's the last time we had an election where people didn't think there was cheating? You know, when Trump was elected the first time, he's not my president. No, they cheated. That didn't work. You know, Obama, they said, yeah, there was problem. Kennedy, they said there was problem. I mean, why don't we invest some of that effort that allow us to put a man on the moon to have an election system that's open, apparent, and that everybody can agree on? Why don't we do that? Why do you, don't we do that? Because people have found that they can manipulate the system. Are you convinced of that? Absolutely. Like how certain are you when you say this? Is this like 90% or are you 100% convinced that this happens? Well, France, which is a left-wing country. Sure. I mean, if they can understand that the system that they were using you know, subjected itself to a lot of cheating mm-hmm. and they rejected it. Why wouldn't we learn from their example? And that's a socialist country. That's I mean, a socialist the the country. issues they have is real. But they cho- they choose, they vote for socialism if they don't have mail-in ballots. Uh, I don't want to get into France's politics. Uh, but if you're saying there's no cheating there, then them in their socialistic nation still, that means a majority nation prefers well, socialism over capitalism. Only to say that they have come up with a system that they understand that's transparent and that their people agree with. And we need to do the same thing. So, interesting. Can you play that clip? Can you play that clip of this? And then the I'll IRS. tell you fast. Have you seen this yet or no? I've I have not seen it. Of the you, IRS? Ben, you, that, I, you've I seen this? Okay, so make, the, make it bigger. Just, just full screen and press play. And then I'll tell you fast forward it. So first you just see them walking up and you're like, okay. Maybe these are new IRS grads. They're excited. They're celebrating. How cool is this? Isn't this awesome? We're about to go play with some, I don't know, you know, arcade, or we're going to do some Monopoly. Then go to minute one. Go to one minute, halfway through. Halfway. Look at this. Uh-huh. Where's your tax money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look at how that guy's holding it. Those thumbs. You can tell he's, he was in the military before. Yeah. What are they saying? Can you hear that? No, they're, they're role-playing. That's what I'm saying. What are the questions they ask? IRS special agent. This is real, by the way. This is not a movie. This is not Saturday Night Live. No, this is true. This is not a spoof. This is not a skit. This is not Vincent Oshana. This is real, okay? This is not, he's at Nancy Pelosi's office type of situation. This is really a training that they're doing with the new IRS agents. Is this, you can I'd be stop very this. interested in knowing if there's ever been a training like this before under any 
presidential uh, regime. Is this is this new? Have you ever seen anything like this? I haven't seen anything like it. It's, I've never it's seen a, anything like this. It's extremely worrisome. Well, the IRS has been weaponized for, for years now. Whether or not the training happened, they've had millions and millions of dollars in weapons and ammunition for years. Yeah. How long? 10 years? 15 years? So this this goes over multiple presidents. Why does the IRS need weapons? Because as in any tyrannical state, you have to rule by fear. Yeah, but according to our friend Tyler over here, this has been going on for a, decades. A, a, yeah, a, official report says... Where are we saying tyrannical? Are you saying we, the American... We've been marching up toward tyranny. And we're getting close to the top of the staircase. So it... This is uh, from Forbes. Uh, official report says at the end of 2017, the tax agency had 4,487 guns and f- over 5 million rounds of ammunition in its weapons inventory. This was published by the, uh, excuse me, published by the Government Accountability Office. Um, so, and this was a report at the end of 2017. So, who knows how long they've had the weapons for? Right? You don't buy 4,500 guns in a year. But walk me through why the IRS would need weapons. Uh, to intimidate people, to make people understand that you could die if you don't do what we tell you to do. This is like literally who's the guy that said, uh, "Why do you rob banks?" No, oh, that's where the money is. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the well, they, physical representation of that. They have to come and get your money. How how else are they going to continue this ridiculous spending? But who's where, where are they coming up and give me your tax revenue? Are they going to businesses? Are they going to individuals? Are they going to corporations? When is this well, assault happening? Obviously, they're not going to be going up to the billionaires and the people that they claim that they're going after. They're going to be coming after average Joe. That's why they need so many people. With guns? With guns. And they've been practicing. I saw an article yesterday or the day before of raiding homes and suburbs. I mean, I, if, if this is not a wake-up call mm-hmm. for us, I, I don't know what is. I'd like to know who leaked that video or like who put that video out there. This is very disconcerting, re- regardless of your how left. How do you right. feel about it? How no, do you, obviously this how you is, feel this, about it. That's why I'm like... What is this? What is happening exactly? Like when they're doing these classes, who's putting these classes on? Who who's running the show here? Anyone, left or right, if you don't see this and say, I don't think that's exactly too comforting. Yeah, this you're not, missing the point. And and this is not really a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an issue of America and American freedom. I agree. And who we are as a nation. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a People have got to wake up. I think they are waking up, to be honest with you. I, I, I think things have been pushed so rapidly that a lot of the people who were slumbering are waking up. Yeah. Yeah, you know how they're saying they're targeting billionaires? You know how many billionaires we have in America? How many billionaires do we have in America right now? Maybe seven, a couple hundred? Between seven and 800. That's not a big number. So we got 330 billion people. Oh, you're getting 87,000 IRS agents to catch 700 people? Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to get 700 people that are billionaires yep. to go after them. Give me a break. The math doesn't make any sense. So, so, but it's such great storytelling. You got to give them credit on the ability to tell the stories that we're targeting 
billionaires and we're going after them. You, you don't need 87 for 700 billionaires. Well, class warfare and envy is a tool that politicians have used forever. Many years, to yeah. To get their way. And, you know, why won't they ever tell you, for instance, what is a fair share for rich people to pay? What's you know, the number? The top 1% pays 37% of the federal income tax. 37%. Is that not fair that 1% could pay 37%? They won't ever tell you the answer mm-hmm. to that. Okay. Can I ask you a follow-up on this? So th- this um, Inflation Reduction Act I, uh, was initially supposed to be the Build Back Better right. uh, Biden agenda. It got uh, lampooned by essentially Joe Manchin, who would have been the 50th vote, or Kamala would have been the 51st vote. Yeah, Kristen Cinema as well. Very disappointed. That um, he, he yeah, and he held out for a year, and, and yeah. he, behind closed doors, he was working with Biden or uh, Chuck Schumer to manifest this. Or Bill Gates. Or Bill Gates, allegedly. What What do you think Joe Manchin, who has been you know iconic on the right these days and uh, blasphemed on the left, and now he's being propped up again you know joe manchin can't win or he can't lose depending on who you know the time of day what do you think happened there why did he co-sign this well because this bill wouldn't have happened without joe manchin right i I asked them once i said uh joe why don't you just become a republican you said this to him yeah And, and he said there's got to be somebody on the other side with some sense (laughs) (laughs) which i assume you applaud no yeah i i say yeah that's right until you lose that sense. What what happened in less than a month where he had this major common sense well, I, and now he gave into this? What do you think happened? I believe it's possible to apply a lot of pressure to people. And I'm sure he felt that pressure. And, you know, he probably knows that this is going to cost him his Senate seat. Uh, but I suspect that... Uh, you know, he weighed the possible things that could happen to him, both good and bad, from a financial point of view. And he said, I'll find a way to, to make this work. Yeah, but with Manchin, nothing was happening with the Biden agenda unless Manchin said yes. So he could have said, listen, I agree with all this, okay, the, you know, uh, inflation, uh, Medicare, Green uh, climate, okay, cool, cool, cool. But the IRS, I'm not good with this. And that could have been killed, right? And they said, all right, well, because Biden has, correct me if I'm wrong, three more months to get some shit done. Right. Because in the midterms, it's expected to be a bloodbath. So he needed to get something done. Manchin could have just held strong and said, all right, I, we want this, we want this, don't want this. Why would a Manchin want something like 87,000 IRS agents? How does that benefit him at all? Well, we're not going to know because we don't know what those private conversations were. But I'm sure they were very convincing. Well, Bloom- Bloomberg says it was Bill Gates. Bloomberg that's, says... That's so, so let me, let me read that story. Yeah. Can I read that story? Yeah. Is that the story you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. page four. I'm going to read the story real quick. Bloomberg News exposes... Uh, exposes exposes eco-hypocrite billionaire Bill Gates' involvement to save Biden's climate bill... Um, Gates reportedly didn't just start his secret efforts to influence Manchin and other U.S. legislators to adopt his radical utopian vision on climate. As Gates revealed to Bloomberg Green, he has quietly lobbied Manchin and other senators, starting with Biden, had won the White House 
in anticipation of a rare moment in which heavy federal spending might be secured for the clean energy transition. Bloomberg said, when Manchin expressed hesitancy to supporting new climate spending, Gates reportedly saw a unique opportunity. He taped, uh, uh, tapped into a relationship with Manchin that he'd cultivated for at least three years. We were able to talk even at a time when, we, uh, when he felt people weren't listening. Gates reportedly told Bloomberg Biden signed the mammoth climate bill today thanks to Manchin's newfound support during a ceremony at the White House. How do you, I mean, there's a lot of people on the right that actually like Manchin. How do you read this article when you, when you hear something like this? I think uh, Manchin was given an offer he couldn't refuse. Wow, you going Godfather style. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and Manchin was just interviewed yesterday by a Fox reporter and said, you know, you voted for this uh, Inflation Reduction Act. When is it going to reduce inflation? And he some, said something along the lines of, well, it won't. It's not like turning on a switch. It's not going to reduce inflation. These people are well aware that this is a ridiculous title for this bill. I mean, you're pumping, what, $640 billion into the economy? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, when, when somebody does something, they make a 180-degree turnaround, and you don't have a good explanation. Um, it's usually because of something that they don't want you to know. And that's Manchin is who you're alluding to. Yes. Interesting. But it's not unique to kind of... No, put, a, not put a put a nice little name like the CARES Act under Trump exactly like the CARES Act. All right, right. Every, and even the bill that was the the Heals Act, the Hope Act. Every every bill that becomes a law is giving a little marketable name to it, though it's well, not unique. Unfortunately, you know, people of America have lost faith in our government because of things like that, because of the way COVID was handled because of what happened in Afghanistan. I mean, there's just so many. Why, why would you have faith in the government anymore? And it's a severe problem because if we don't get it back, you know, pretty soon, we're doomed. What is, Dr. Carson, what does this say about the state of American democracy that, that one senator holds so much power in his hands? Well, essentially, that's what it's come down to. Well, I guess the question is, how did it get to the point that we're so polarized that one person could have that kind of power? So you don't think this is a failure in democracy or the way government functions? You think this is a polarization? It's a polarization issue. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that America's polarized, and if you want to use the word tribal, but let's give a little respect to Joe Manchin for a second, because... How many Democrats are getting elected in the reddest state in the union? I mean, here's not, someone. Not a lot. Exactly. So you pride yourself on not making it about yourself, working with other people, putting your hand across the aisle. It's essentially what Joe Manchin's done for 40 years. So do you think something actually changed in the last 30 days? Yeah. Or like you think something happened? Yeah, I think they made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And what does that what does that sound like in like behind closed doors? What does that mean? I mean, is that death threats? Is that money? Is that uh, uh, legacy? Uh, what is it? It could be any of those things, but he is not a stupid person. Nope. And you know he weighed things and says, "How do I end up best off?" Mm-hmm. And he made that decision. So you think he'll just ride off into the sunset and never look for re-election again? And you don't think because he, he helped pa- pass Biden's agenda that 
the people of West Virginia are going to be done with you, it. You have a hard time with this because you're a big fan of Mansion. I right? do like so, Mansion. I know. And, and by the way, most I people like do. I, 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 you're not in a, a company where you're the only guy that likes him. The, what he's saying is there was an offer made that he couldn't refuse. What that is, he doesn't know. Hmm. I don't think anybody knows. But when a guy named Bill Gates gets involved, you, you're talking about a guy that's got a lot of exp- Did you see him when he was young? And he was sitting there going up against the lawyer. Have you ever seen those conversations he had with the lawyer when he was younger? Have you ever seen that video or no? Yeah. I've seen of how that. he handled the lawyer? Mm-hmm. Do you know that whole scene where Mark Zuckerberg, where the guy plays him in social network? Social network. Do you know that's where the practice came from, really? watching how Gates handled it? Hmm. You're not talking to a lightweight guy. You're talking about a guy that he's, been, he's gotten criticism of having Asperger's, which means emotions low, mm-hmm. you know, this, and obviously he's known for having a temper, but, you know, at the same time, when a guy like Gates gets involved, he's got many creative ways of pushing things through. Right. He's not a lightweight. This is a very heavyweight guy that got involved. Mm-hmm. So now, on the flip side, um, on the flip side of this, okay, before we go into the story with FBI, because I definitely want to hear what you have to say about that. Elon Musk featured at a Kevin McCarthy GOP retreat in Wyoming, which is kind of weird, Okay. So you read the story. Billionaire Lama spoke at a Republican retreat hosted by House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy uh, in Wyoming on Tuesday. The event came in at the same day as Re- Representative Liz Cheney, the former number three House Republican, lost a primary challenge to Harriet Hagman, who was supported by former President Trump and McCarthy. A source familiar with the retreat confirmed Musk's attendance at the event, which included Republican candidate supporters. According to Fox News, McCarthy and Musk led a closed press fireside chat with supporters. Musk has donated to both Republicans and Democrats in the past and has donated to McCarthy's campaign dating back to 2011, according to Federal Election Commission data. But the billionaire has said that until last year, he had only voted for Democrats. The first Republican he voted for was Representative Myra Flores from Texas. Musk uh, signed uh, a signal day tweet Tuesday that he's not supportive of the far-right faction of the party. To be clear, I support the left half of the Republican Party and the right half of the Democratic Party. What are your thoughts when you see a must be at a Kevin McCarthy event? And Kevin McCarthy is one of the most hated guys on the left. Well, you know, I don't have a problem with it, to be honest with you. Uh, I think you got to listen to all points of view. And uh, Elon Musk is an important voice, um, you know, particularly since he may at some point own Twitter. So I don't think it's uh, necessarily a bad thing to cultivate a relationship with him. I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that he does or says, uh, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep the communications open. I agree, and I, I fully agree with you there. The, the, the question, the challenge becomes <laughs> if the nominee is a Trump and the two of them had a back and forth on Twitter where he calls him another bullshit artist. And then mm-hmm. he comes out and says, look, I think we should just kind of m- move away from politics. And mm-hmm. I think the moment your age starts with number seven, you shouldn't run anymore. And they had that back and forth. How this is going to look if the nominee is Trump? Would Musk support a Trump if he is the nominee? Or would he go the other side? Uh, I don't know. That would be pretty interesting to see what happens there. <laughs> it but would be interesting. Is, is but, Mc- but, but that's one of the reasons that I think it's important to keep the channels of communication open. Mm-hmm. You said that earlier. Yeah. The, the dialogue is so vitally important. But what's the difference between a Musk sitting down with a Kevin McCarthy, you know, number one guy in the, in the, in the house, and a 
Um, Soros and a, and a Gates sitting down with Joe Manchin. Isn't that exactly the same thing? A billionaire speaking with a major political figure. That's exactly. And, yeah. That's exactly why I brought the support the story right. right afterwards. The only difference is is the following. This is the only difference mm-hmm. between the two. Whose motives do you trust more? Do you trust Bill Gates's motives or do you trust Elon Musk's motives? That's the decision you got to make because mm-hmm. you know, like let's just say if somebody is trying to judge you and they say who's an Adams here? They say well Patrick Bedev's an Adams here. If, pa- if a person doesn't trust Patrick Bedev, they may say, I don't want Patrick Bedev being in Adam's ear, right? Mm-hmm. And so, oh, let me tell you who's in that guy's ear. So you have to sit there and say, would you rather have an Elon Musk in someone's ear or Bill Gates in someone's ear? The voter has to decide that because both of them are in the top five most powerful people in the world when it comes down to money. You can only add a couple other names to that mm-hmm. list. You can ask Bezos and maybe a couple other guys, but they're both in the top five at any given moment. So sure. who do you trust more, Gates or Musk? And by the way, they've got some yeah, some internal question. beef themselves, right? Who, who do you trust more, Gates or Musk? Who do you who do you think has more of a best interest for America between the two? Uh, personally, I would come down on the Musk side. Okay, yeah. And what's the what's the the biggest reason why? Because uh, you already but, said that you're not a big fan of Musk, right? Right, but because of his concern about freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think freedom of speech is such a vital part of who we are as a nation. Mm-hmm. And what's your, do you have a beef with Bill Gates? Is there something about Bill Gates you're like, eh, I don't really uh, like what he's doing with that thing. What, what would that be? Well, I, I think his uh, tremendous emphasis on the climate uh, above everything else is problematic for me. Mm-hmm. What do you think his motive is with their speculation? Uh, I think he kneels at the altar of climate, like so many others on the left. And because of that, they believe themselves to be righteous. Mm -hmm. And when they believe themselves to be righteous, anybody who opposes them, uh, you know, you can lie to them, you can do anything you want to them. And uh, I, I don't agree with that kind of philosophy. How about yourself? You trust Gates more or you trust Musk more? Um, Can you answer that? Or is this one of those? Well, you know, I, yeah. I mean, of the two, I would trust a Musk more. Okay, cool. Just curious. One, I, I didn't know if you were a Microsoft guy yeah. or a Tesla guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm neither. More However, I, I, I don't know enough about Bill Gates and his agenda. I do understand the climate stuff. And he's been working on that, especially mm-hmm. vaccine stuff in Africa. I mean, there's a lot to applaud with what she's done. I don't know... There's a lot of people that think he's doing very evil stuff. There's a lot of people that go down, you know, the tinfoil hat route with him and the World Economic Forum and the QAnon. Like, he gets labeled that. I don't know if he's that bad of an actor. I don't know. But I, it's okay to question that. I'm sure he had some some good qualities. And, you know, I knew his dad um, much more so than him. I Bill sat, Gates' dad? Sat on a board with his dad. Really? Yeah. Who's his father? Bill Gates Sr. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and you just make up a name? <laughs> Bill Gates Sr. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> we, can we Google that name, Bill Gates' dad? That was such a I'd good be, moment. It'd be funny like... to know if it's actually not his name. Well, like, you quick. know, the moment somebody says, I knew his dad conversation changed a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about FBI. I got a bunch of stories here about the FBI, but I just open-ended questions. So when you heard about the raid, FBI, Merrick Garland, you know, 
And then Biden comes out, you know, he says, I had no idea about this. This is a decision that the FBI made. This didn't come all the way up to me. And then three people came in. They left the cameras on, and they weren't supposed to put the body cameras on. They asked the attorneys to step out. They got the 27 boxes. They found four highly classified, and then two, you know, three, and then three. We've read all the stories. Right. You've read it. I've read it. What do, you, what, do you, just, what do you think about the whole situation? Well, uh, I'm troubled by it because, you know, if they were concerned about these documents, why did they wait a year and a half after the president has been out of office? And if we have a justice system that is fair, why weren't they just as vigorous with all of the documents that Hillary had? Uh, that she didn't want anybody else to see, that she deleted, asset watched her hard drive, smashed the BlackBerry phones. I mean, that's not what an innocent person does, but no questions asked. Um, same thing with Hunter Biden. So could Trump have done some things that were inappropriate? Yes. Uh, have others done things that are inappropriate? Yes. Why do we put so much concentration on one and not on the others? That's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the unfairness aspect. And, you know, I think we need to uncover the, the affidavit. And you can redact the names. That, you know, no one has to be uh, identified. We need to know what's going on here because this is this is essential to our trust in the government and in our federal law enforcement agencies. Now, first they said they will, then they said they won because at risk of a nation's security, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how much of that is bullshit? How much of that is real? Well, it's very easy to redact what needs to be redacted. Yeah, we need to understand what it is that they were looking for. The Fourth Amendment guarantees protection against unlawful search Sorry. and seizure. So that should apply to everybody, including ex-presidents. Probably even more there, right? Probably I mean, a certain level of respect on the way to, to, to handle that. Now, you know, a video went not necessarily viral, but it's being shared all over the place of Ron Paul. Okay, it's a 1988 interview of Ron Paul. I'm sure you saw this where he says... You know, for most of our country, for most of our history, we didn't have these institutions. The FBI came in, uh, came in during the First World War, and interestingly enough, the one thing Woodrow Wilson did, he used the FBI to spy on American citizens and actually arrest them if they disagreed with his foreign policy about going to war in Europe. Isn't it interesting how recently they used it in the Vietnam era? Democrats used it then. Republicans used the FBI to spy on 100 different groups in this country, including the churches who disagree with the policy in Central America. It almost looks like the FBI was designed to spy on Americans who disagree with policy, especially foreign policy. Do you agree with uh, Ron Paul? Uh, I think he has some very valid points. And, you know, I think this is a serious issue. And I think we need to, as a nation, bipartisan effort, uh, Look into making sure that our agencies do what they're supposed to do. Which of, the, which of the agencies do you trust the least? Which one of them makes you the most uncomfortable? You got CIA, you got D, you got all these, you know, 
FBI, which one do you trust Alphabet the least? Alphabet agencies. I'm not sure that I trust any of them right now. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure that I trust any of them. Uh, I th that doesn't mean that all the people in them are bad people. Sure. Some, some of them are very good people. Sure. But, uh, you know, we're looking at agencies that are run by people who perhaps have other agendas than protecting uh, the American population. You, you know the debate right now, it's very easy for things to go viral, you know, hashtags to go viral, you know. Uh, uh, defund the police, you know, came out a year ago, and Democrats are now saying it's a Republican ideology, right? <laughs> and they're they're actually convincing their base that this is now their their idea. Now it's end the FBI, okay? Then there's people that behind closed doors say, I don't know if we can get w away without CIA, without this. What are we going to do if we don't have the MI6? And these other guys got Mossad, and you know they got their M MI6, they got their Mossad, they got their this, they got their that. And those are valid concerns. Yes. Should we get rid of CIA? Should we get rid of FBI? Is it best to get rid of them? And if not, what is the solution? I, I don't think getting rid of them is the right thing to do. I think what we need to do is, like I said before, make sure they're doing what they're supposed How to do. How do you do that, though? I mean, you, you do, you're talking about it, it, an organization where there's zero accountability. It, to who? Everything is secret. They can it, use it, everything to say, well, it's for your own protection. Why we don't want to share with you the details of what just took place here with this investigation? Well, the oversight needs to be uh, tightened up. Okay. Uh, you know, oversight was provided through our Constitution. Mm -hmm. And it specifically says, for instance, that uh, rogue, rogue judges should be uh, evaluated by Congress. When's the last time you saw Congress evaluate a rogue judge? Couldn't tell you. You know, we, we really need to take these things seriously because our founders recognized that these things would occur. And they didn't just put the stuff down there so it can be on a test. It was, it was really to protect us. To prove your point, uh, I had our friend Tyler pull up the job ratings of the uh, key federal agencies and where they're at essentially pre-COVID right. to now. Uh, and they, many of them have declined significantly. Uh, top of the list, as far as declines go, is the CDC. Absolutely. It went from 64% to 40%. Next on the list is the CIA. <laughs> Uh, went from 60 to 41, minus 19. Uh, then you have a handful of double digits. Um, the FBI went from 57 to 44. Homeland Security, um, 55 to 42. Uh, Secret Service has gone down uh, 14%. Uh, the Post Office has gone down 17, 74 to 57. But um, NASA, exactly the same, has gone down 0%. So... Mm. Space Force. Well, let's keep that keep that going. But to your point, a lot of federal agencies have uh, lost trust from the American people, and it's a serious problem because if the people don't trust the government, uh, you're sowing the seeds for uh, massive disturbances. Mm -hmm. But okay. By the way, story continues. Okay, within this mm -hmm. topic, Daily Beast, Viper Merrick Garland's Trump raid is only the first inning. Okay, Democratic strategist James Carville has a message for people who are doubting Merrick Garland. Just wait. People are like, well, but let's wait and see a little bit. And this is like the top of the first inning. I mean, remember, Merrick Garland is like a pit viper. He prosecuted the Oklahoma City bomber case, the Unabomber case, the Olympic bomber case. And I think these guys are really methodical. Trump and the MAGA Republicans' defenses are just literally absurd. I mean, absurd. 
like he can declassify anything he wants, says Carville. Plus, you ask why did Trump want all these documents? And the answer is the most logical reason. He was going to sell them. Right, because he needs money, right? (laughs) What a ridiculous thing to say. But you're talking about a guy that some call him the democratic strategist. You know, this is like the brain that comes up with strategists. This is not just a lightweight pundit from CNN or MSNBC saying something like this. Well, you know, a lot of uh, former presidents have kept lots of documents. Uh, You know, Obama, it's in the millions of documents. Why do they keep them? Well, you know, not everybody gets to be president. I mean, (laughs) it's just kind of cool to have these documents. Uh, Save them for posterity. Save them for your library, which will eventually be built. Um, I don't think it necessarily means that you have nefarious purposes. Do you agree with them that this is just the top of the first inning, or is this one of those things where Adam Schiff got up and, hey, it's the, I know for a fact there was a Russia collusion. Like, how do you... Well, I think because there's been so much pushback, uh, they probably are going to not be as aggressive as they might have been before. Why? Too much pushback. So, so some people say, some people will say that, you, you'll talk to a Democrat, and Democrats will say, uh, well, let me tell you, this has got nothing to do with election. No one on the left is afraid of Trump running for office. That's ludicrous. <laughs> he doesn't have that kind of credibility anymore. He lost it all. You know, the left is not afraid of him running again. Okay, fine. That's their argument. That's their wishful thinking. They don't want to see him run again. Why don't they? Because, I mean, look at the crowds that come out and see him. Look at the enthusiasm behind the, that kind of activity. You you don't want somebody who's going to rally the troops. You want sort of a sleeper candidate. So, yeah, they would do everything they can to make sure that he doesn't run again. And that's why they're going to try to find a way to indict him. Because I don't think while you're under indictment that you can run for mm. president. Even Tucker said that he thought that an indictment would be coming. Did yeah. you see Tucker say that, Pat? Yeah. He, he, he said, well, he said it's the, the only logical thing coming. Hmm. Not that they're going to have valid reasons or there's anything that's going to come from it, but it's it's the logical next step. When do you think Trump is going to make his announcement that he's running again in 2024? Before or after midterm elections? I have no idea. Dr. <laughs> Benjamin Carson, sir, you must have a, a hypothesis, a guess. Well, let me just say, if, if I were him, yes, sir, I would make it afterwards. You would do it after the midterms? I would do it after. What's your strategy there? Uh, the strategy there is that if, if I do it before, mm-hmm. I might energize a lot of people on the left to come out and vote against the people who are running. Uh-huh. So right after midterms. Right. After the bloodbath, the expected bloodbath. Yes. By the way, did you see what Peter said? Peter, uh, how do you pronounce this guy's N- last Every time I get oh, it. Peter Navarro? Struck. Yeah, no, Peter Struck, the ex-FBI agent, said, Americans should absolutely... Trust FBI after the <laughs> Trump raid. Absolutely, the American people should trust what the FBI is doing. Uh, Peter said uh, uh, the FBI is head investigator into alleged Russian uh, meddling in 2016 elections and former Secretary Hillary Clinton's private email server. He was removed from the brief stint on Robert Mueller's uh, special counsel investigation after uh, sending anti-Trump text messages and beginning an affair with colleague Lisa Page and was ultimately fired from the agency from or for a text in August 2018, he said, 
Trump has spent his entire adult life living on the margins of the law, pushing up the edge, seeing what he can get away with, and then pushing a step or two beyond that. When a, when a guy like that, disgraced ex-FBI, when a guy like that says something like that, how much credibility does he have with the American people? <laughs> I don't think he has a lot of credibility. Uh, anybody who uh, sees him as credible will probably see anybody as credible. You, you were about to say the Peter Navarro comment? Peter Navarro comment about, you're talking about, a, Kushner. A, about Kushner. Is that, you you that gonna, story? is that what you were talking about? No, I was about? actually going to this one. Oh, That's gotcha. the one I was going to. Mm-hmm. L- l- last thing here before we wrap up. Dwayne Wade. I want to go into the NBA a little bit because I know you're a big NBA fan. <laughs> so uh, let, let's talk about the NBA. Predictions right? next season. Let's go. <laughs> we're not All doing 32 that. teams. Let's so, do it. Dr. Ben so Rose. a couple things. So it, it's important to our democracy. NBA will not schedule games on election day. The NBA will not be scheduling games on uh, on the midterm election day, but all 30 teams will play the night before November 7th. The league looks to use this uh, as an opportunity to encourage its fan base to go out and vote to amplify the need for civic engagement. The election will take plan on November 8th for all 435 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives and 30 U.S. Senate seats, along with uh, multiple uh, governor and state races. It's unusual. We don't usually change the schedule for an internal external event said executive director of the NBA Social Justice Coalition, James uh, Cadigan. But voting and election day are obviously unique and incredibly important to our democracy. What do you think about the NBA just shutting down election for midterms? Uh, I think they're welcome to do that. Um, I encourage everybody to go out and vote. Uh, And every agency, every entity should encourage that. But let's do it the right way. That's the key thing. Um, you know, I was telling you about what was going on in France. Mm. Uh, one of the things that the uh, French observer said is that we require photo identification. So I guess that makes us racist. He said that, the <laughs> French, said France that. guy? He said that. Yeah. Who said that, Macron? No, no, no. No, the the French guy who was being interviewed about oh. about their election system. Gotcha. I don't understand the idea of you know showing your ID being racist. I have no idea what that. But means. remember, you, you got to show your vax card. Uh, what's your? I mean, as a black uh, man who's very vocal about this, is showing ID racist? Of course, it's not racist. Of course, you want to know who's voting. Mm-hmm. You know, if if there's something going on in your neighborhood, yeah, that affects the people in your neighborhood, do you want anybody to be able to come in and vote about it? Or maybe just the people in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have uh, family members or good friends, uh, black people that you disagree with vehemently or that disagree with you vehemently about the of type course. of topics? Of course. And how do you deal with that? Uh, just stick to the facts. <laughs> just talk about the facts. No feelings? Uh, you know, you can probably tell I'm not a person who... <laughs> <laughs> gets heavily involved with emotion. Yeah, but you used to be. I used to be. When you were young. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, God changed me. Really? Do we yeah. have time for one last question? Because sure. I, I want to. So. Uh, I do want to touch up on a Dwayne Wade story. After okay, gotcha. Go ahead. Well, uh, you, rumor has it you used to have a very bad temper. I did. And you've changed significantly. Um, ironically, I, I find a lot of your story um, very. Similar to that of my father. My father was born in Detroit, hmm. same age as you. Uh, very bad temper. He hmm. was picked on as a kid. Um, very similar story. Yeah. Um, 
but you were able to change your temper. My father was not able to do that. He had a very bad temper. Uh, he would fight people. I think you're, you were, you were, you were, got bullied. You bullied. You were, you were a fighter. Um, you know, Pat talks about my question essentially is how are you able to change? Pat talks about all the time about how you can change and how you can improve. You outwork, you out improve, you out strategize, you outlast. Did I say that correctly? Um, you were able to do all four of those things. What was the key? There's a lot of people out there saying, I don't know. This is the life I live. I don't know how I'm going to change. I don't know how I'm going to do things. I don't know how I can improve. I, I'm, I'm stuck in this situation. Nobody has changed and improved their life as much as you. I don't know that you can do it on your own. But, you know, after I tried to stab another teenager, I was in the bathroom and I was contemplating my life. And I realized that I had changed things around academically. I would become an A student. Mm -hmm. But I said, you're never going to be a doctor with a temper like this. You're going to end up in jail, reform school, or the grave. And I said, I don't like any of those. <laughs> and uh, there was a Bible, and I picked it up, started reading from the book of Proverbs. And there were all these verses about anger. Like Proverbs 19, 19, there's no point getting an angry man out of trouble because he's just going to get right back into it. But also very positive verses like Proverbs 16, 32, mightier is the man who controls his temper than the man who can conquer a city. And while I was in there praying and contemplating and reading, it dawned on me that the reason that I was angry so often is because I was selfish. It was always about me. Huh. Somebody had done this to me. They had taken my thing. I want this. And I said, if you step outside of the middle of the circle, let it be about somebody else, you won't be angry. Hmm. That was the last day I had an angry outburst. And you haven't been angry in 50 years is what you're saying. Uh, I generally, it takes a lot to make me angry. Wow. Uh, you know, my wife knows how. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the secret. <laughs> the wife pissing you off. Powerful. But you, what do you think about Proverbs thirty-eight seventeen? There is no Proverbs thirty-eight seventeen. It says, thou shalt end the FBI. <laughs> he thought about it. He's like, <laughs> no problem. Hey, he's quick on his toes, this guy, Dr. Ben. Dwayne Wade claims hatred of Miami Heat's big three is because they were black men. Oh if you recall, God. the Miami Heat's big three consisted of Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosh. JJ Reddick pointed out that some of the hate that Dwayne Wade was receiving because a group of sports fans that are and will always be uncomfortable with black, uh, powerful black men uh, making decisions for themselves, taking empowerment and controlling. Uh, taking control of their careers. Dwayne Wade responded, I agree with you, and I didn't say that, but I'm glad you said that, but we felt that way. We knew that some of the hate was because of our skin color, because of the black men uh, uh, deciding, taking control of their faith, of our careers, because organizations will do it quickly. They will trade a Dwayne Wade in a heartbeat if you're not accomplishing what they want you to accomplish. So when we had the power, when we had the moment, we took it. But some of the hate came because we were three black guys who decided and we changed the way that the NBA probably would ever be because of that decision. So I agree with you, man, 100%. So what, what do you think about that? Was that because they were black men, or was it just because? I think it's, it's kind of uh, sad that so many things circle back around to race, and they don't need to. Uh, that's, that's why I wrote my most recent book you know, called Created Equal. The painful past, confusing present, and hopeful future of race in America. Looking at racial issues from both ends, but uh, using objective evidence. For instance, take the George Floyd incident. 
It was played 24-7 incessantly. You would think that black, unarmed black men are being killed by police all the time. We had some friends in Australia. We talked to them. They said, yeah, they play it all the time. What's going on over there? Um, what are the real statistics? The Washington Post says less than two dozen incidents a year with more than 50 million police civilian encounters. Think about that. Think about those numbers. Um, so it's very rare. It's a tragedy any time it occurs. But recognize how the media manipulates people and makes you think that things are very different than they are. There was another case uh, that was very similar to this. Same situation, police with the knee on the neck, face on the ground saying, I'm going to die. Almost no coverage. Why? Because the victim was white. It didn't fit the narrative. Who cares? These are problems. We've made enormous progress in my lifetime on race in this country. A lot of people aren't willing to admit that. But when I was a kid and a black person came on television and they were in a non-servile role, this was a big deal. You called everybody in, come and see this. <laughs> now you have black admirals and generals and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and heads of foundations, uh, university presidents, including Ivy League. We've elected a black president twice, black vice president. You know, to say that we have made progress is absolutely ridiculous. Doesn't mean we've reached nirvana and we still need to continue to make progress, but we've made a lot of progress and we should, we should decide that we're going to build our future on the progress and not on the things that were embarrassing about our country. That's powerful what you just said. Um, um, you know, I, I, I can't say that I relate to that because I'm not a black man. Yeah. But, uh, you know, being Middle Eastern, coming up here and, you know, going out there in the insurance business while 9-11 happened, I got started a day before 9-11, the worst mm -hmm. time for a Middle Eastern man from Absolutely. Iran to get into financial industry. And uh, some people use this as an excuse saying it's not going to help us sell to the white man or the black right. man or the Asian man. I said, nah, it's, it's, it's the argument. If you got a good case, if you're good at what you do, if you can take care of the client, exactly. you'll be able to win at the highest level. I've really enjoyed being with, uh, having you have on, uh, on the podcast. I want to make one thing very clear. Dwayne Wade, it's arrogant to say you guys created the first big three. First of all, Kareem Magic, James Worthy. We can go Mikhail Parrish, Bird. We can do Rodman, you know, Dumas. There's so many different things for them to say. Even the Celtics were the first big three before they did. But the way <laughs> it was done, I'm going to take my talents to South yeah. Beach. That's probably the biggest and I'm, part. You know, I'm a Miami guy. I'm the biggest Dwayne Wade fan ever. I can tell you without a doubt, shadow of a doubt, it had nothing to do with race. It was the fact that LeBron's decision. Yeah, right. that's what. Okay, it was. that's what it was, yeah. guys. Right. <laughs> okay, whether they got Chris Bosh or Dirk Nowitzki, it was not a black or white thing. Dirk Nowitzki is so, a white basketball player. So for the little record. of the stuff uh, has to do with race. Right. And you know, there's a, there's a chapter in my book called "Is It Racism or Classism?" Mm -hmm. We do have a problem with classism, but uh, you know, a lot of people who have a lot of money. They only want to deal with people who have a lot of money. They don't mm. want to deal with other people. And you know why? Because people are always asking them for money. <laughs> <laughs>
No question about it. Can Folks, I a couple $20, things. A couple things. Number one, <laughs> let's put the link below to the book, Created Equal, The Painful Past, The Confusing Present, and The Hopeful Future of Race in America is Dr. Ben Carson's latest book. I highly recommend you get it. If you haven't read that, I read America the Beautiful years ago. If you haven't seen Gifted Hands, go watch it as well. But I do want to drive it. Another thing that you've been working on is uh, Little Patriots Learning, a platform for parents, grandparents, teachers, and caregivers to have a free online resource to use to teach children civic lessons, history, American values at home, in the car, or at school. Once again, check out Little Patriots' new cartoon series, Star Spangled Adventures. Click on the link below in the description. We're going to put it in the chat box. And it's free. As well as the description, and it's free. Absolutely, it's free. Uh, really, really, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much for coming back here. And uh, when you do decide to run, we'll have you back on as well. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that little plug in right there. Hey. Folks, if you enjoyed it as much as we did, give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel and go uh, purchase his latest book and get your kids on their latest uh, website that they have that's teaching the following topics that we talked about. Once again, thanks so much for coming out. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.